Hi, welcome to Sacred Reading at Brandon High School for season five. We are not from here. I am Mrs. Huff. With me today is Mr. Thompson. So we are almost 100 pages in and I am looking at a quote on page 95 today that I want to talk about. It's Pequena talking and she says, I chose a dress with red flowers. So if mommy finds me dead, the red flowers will disguise my blood. I put it on, smooth my hair, put on lip gloss. I shove my feet into black flats because God help me. I suddenly hope he is in love with me. Maybe then he won't kill me because I realize when death feels imminent, when it feels certain, all I want is to live. I will do anything to live. Mm -hmm. So literally when we look at that quote, what's going on here is that Ray has come to see her and tell her that he's going to take her somewhere, that she should dress up nice, that he has a surprise for her, that she needs to tell her mommy about them. He's, she is his. That's where we are literally in the book. And she has decided to go along and he's holding the baby while she goes to change and she's thinking about if he kills her or not and what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. So literally that's what's going on here. Allegorically, how do we see things like this in the news, in other texts, in the world around us, this desire to live and to cover up something awful with something pretty what does it remind us of oh, that's a deep question <laughs> i really have to think about that i mean what we often want to forget we want to look at the good side of things mm -hmm. and we really work to look at not remember the bad side of things mm -hmm. yesterday i was listening to a uh wasn't a podcast it was a news story and the journalist was talking about the history of America and talking mm. about Ben Franklin and history of this person and this person did some really good things mm -hmm. but there's some bad things that we don't know about mm -hmm. that we tend to cover up for like Thomas Jefferson Thomas is a Jefferson, very complicated character correct we want to remember all the good things a person has done but there are some bad things that are in the background that mm -hmm. they that we don't want to come to light or we just want to cover those things up and relating to you know things like for example i am a big ray charles fan mm -hmm. okay and probably one of the best musicians to ever grace the stage well into his latter years oh yeah but watching the story depicted by Jamie Foxx. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot of things <laughs> about Ray Charles that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. uh, and how he was with women. How he was with women, the drug addiction, mm -hmm. the, it's those things. But, you know, that's all covered up by his music, his musical genius, what he mm -hmm. was able to achieve. And He's not the only musician with that sort of exact thing. And so we often want to cover those things up we want to remember all the good things about that person but let's also underneath know there's stuff under under the surface mm -hmm. that we have to deal with and it's kind of like with Bikenia, you know she wants to be, put on that red put dress on that red dress and she wants to smooth her hair put on lip gloss shove, wants, you know i'm gonna look good because i hope he does love me 
happened and she was robbed of her youth. Mm-hmm. She was robbed of being able to do those little simple things that a girl at her age might be able to do. Simple mm-hmm. teenage teenager. She was taken to the adulthood faster than she needed to mm-hmm. because she's about to have a child. Mm-hmm. And she's wrestling with that. She's wrestling with how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And so, needless to say, she is trying to just cover that all up as best she can. I'm looking at one of my ceiling tiles in the corner. It's a sunrise. Mm-hmm. It's this beautiful picture painted by one of my TAs, Nico, years ago when we were painting them all the time. Mm-hmm. It's from Interview with a Vampire. Mm-hmm. It is Louis's last sunrise. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote on it as well that he says about the sun and what he was going to and what he was doing and talking about the beauty that papers over. In the story, he very willingly becomes a vampire because he's dealing with grief of the loss of his wife and young daughter or infant. Mm -hmm. And he is in his 20s. He's like 24 when this happens. So we think of him as very young by today's standards. At the time, he says he was already somebody who owned a plantation. But he was someone who was so lost in his grief that he was seeking out death, but it wasn't death that found him. In this fictional story, it's a vampire, it's Lestat. And so he marvels at this last sunrise in beauty that he is very willingly give up to go be something much darker um, because he does want to live. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to actually give up his life. Mm-hmm. When faced with the choice, Lestat gives him a choice. Do you want to die? No, I want to become a vampire and live forever he chooses life just as Pequena does and then wrestles with what he is for the rest of the book and the moral choices of being a vampire in nonfiction and in the news cycle it also reminds me like you were saying of the good that we see in people versus what else it might be behind the scenes I read Roxanne Dunbar's An Indigenous People's History of the United States and it's a whole different look at our country there's a lot of legend around America entering World War I and World War II and being kind of the saviors of it. And that book talks about the reason why we're so good at fighting in those wars is because of how often we had previously been fighting terrible wars against the indigenous people who lived here. Who were our, And the reason why we don't see permanent settlements and farms and the, the structures and the, uh, people think that all indigenous people were nomads living in teepees and it's because the people who were here in this country from the Scotch-Irish and the English side of things burned everything, destroyed everything, shot everything. Like they, they destroyed it. It wasn't that it didn't exist. It's that it was destroyed in war. Mm-hmm. You know, in the westward expansion, you know, 54-40 year fight and all of that, what we were doing was robbing people of their land repeatedly and then sending them to new places and then taking that from them too. And Tulsa riots. That's right. That's what comes to, comes to mind, Tulsa riots. But, yeah. You know, we we're covering up. There are, some, there are some pretty things. There are some good things. Sure. There, there are, are some, lots of amazing but things. But there are some other things that are just not, that are just dark about us and we're not... We're a good nation. We're not a perfect nation. Right. And, you know, Pequena is a good young woman. But uh-huh. She's not a perfect young woman. She's not a whole young woman mm-hmm. at this point. 
and she had a piece of her life stolen stolen from her and she wants she desperately wants to go on and live some type of existence mm -hmm. although she's not sure what that is right now right she's not sure what that existence is she just wants to get it over with she's kind of tired of living in fear although she wants part of her wants to die like you said she yeah. wants to live and it's like okay if given the choice of dying or living I would probably rather live and just have to put up with 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 Ray and his nonsense and his abuse and his possession possessiveness and I'll just go ahead and do that and you know and at uh, least it's a life uh, yeah and you know compared to what I'm dealing with right now and all that happens in where I live mm -hmm. right now that may be a better option yeah. maybe but maybe that's when she decides to run it it is pretty much yeah. at that point because uh I guess he does take her and yeah. he, he he says I got plans and I mm -hmm. and this is what you know this is where my plans uh came forward and I got plans for us mm -hmm. and we're gonna and he didn't ask her what she wants to mm -mm. do. He just basically said, this is what it is. He never asked her to date. He just told her she was his. He, he just took her. Exactly. And she does say at the bottom of the page, um, you know, on mommy's next day off, she will stay here with the baby. I will ask to go to the market and I will never come back. She makes that decision here. I want to live and I'm going to go away from this so that she can have some agency. And she's talking about leaving her baby. Mm -hmm. So again, she's not perfect but she's trying to be better. But can we see her? Here's the question I have. Even though she decides to leave her baby, and I kind of put that yeah. in the context of mothers who know that they are not, Cut I would out say, for fit. Or I, wouldn't, I don't want to say fit. That's the wrong word. But mothers who just in their hearts and in their bodies aren't equipped at that moment to take mm -hmm. care of their child. And they make a, a hard decision. Mm-hmm. A life with her mother is better than a life with her. Adoption upon, can be a beautiful thing. Exactly. And people ask that question and they make those hard choices. And I think mm -hmm. Kenya had to make a hard choice mm -hmm. at that point. Do I continue this this right charade and try mm -hmm. to raise? And, and on top of that, I'm raising a son. You gave me a boy. Mm -hmm. With a man that what? I can't stand. And, who, and if he's doing this to me... Mm -hmm. What is he going to do to the boy? Yeah, what will Ray make my baby will, become? Exactly. What will that boy be made? At least if he's with my mother, mm -hmm. there, there are chances that the chances of him ending up with his father mm -hmm. are nullified. If Pequena leaves, do you think Ray goes after the baby and takes it? He doesn't have anybody to care for it, but do you think he tries to claim it? Do you I, think, you I, know, I wonder about I that. I wonder about that, too. I wonder, is he, you know, what... Once, you know, because he does threaten harm to the mother at one point, if oh, I'm not yeah. mistaken. So what's to stop him from going after the mother and then taking the son? Yeah. So he comes from a standard of machismo. Right. Where the woman takes care of the baby. Mm -hmm. So it may be better for him to leave the child there. And at some point in time, the child finds out that he was actually a father or mm -hmm. someday. He does he take it and give it to his mom? Depending on where mom is, that's correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't hear much about his family. Yeah. So, I mean, but she had to make a hard choice. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, that's better than nothing. And we talk about, you know, things looking better and her trying want to live. Mm -hmm. But I also want this child to live as well. Yeah. You know. 
And, you know, the first episode this season, I talked to a student, Elios. We were talking about the moment early on when Pequena throws herself off the bus. She says she, you know, it was hot and she fell, she fainted, that whole thing. And it says, and that's all. And we talked about that and how all was an italicized. And I wondered if she was trying to commit suicide. Elios wondered if she was trying to miscarry and have it not be her fault. And there, and there, there you go. And it's like, was it on purpose? Was it an accident? And I thought the same thing, that mm-hmm. she probably, was, was she sick? Was she feeling well, feeling not, mm-hmm. not feeling well? Those are the things that crossed my mind when that happened. And, you know, did she do it on purpose? But she did not want to have that baby. Right. <laughs> and who knows? But So as we think about a lesson in the text and what we feel called to do from this conversation and what we see in this, you know, reading a lot of the hard books that I've read recently the things that I didn't learn in school that I'm going back and learning about perspectives of other people who look nothing like me, who don't sound like me, who live in other places. They all teach me empathy and they make me learn that, you know, you said we are a good country, but we're not a perfect country. And for me, the only way to get better is to recognize where there are places to get better I have to learn about what went wrong in order to to fix it in order to try and do better next time I tell my daughter all the time that it's she's six and it's okay that she didn't get everything right that's where we learn and grow they say that as a teacher too the learnings and the struggle but I god I wish Pequena and Pulga and Chico didn't have to struggle so much but I think the lesson I want to take here is not necessarily just that I have to look at where we went wrong to, to get better, but also that sometimes the people who look like everything's fine are the ones who are struggling the most. And that is true. And you know, it's funny, my wife and I were having that very same conversation this morning. We're planning an event for our church in the summer, and it's what I had to go through to where I am looking back and where I am now. You don't know what I had to go through to be where I am now. And you you meet people all the time and you think that everything is good, but then you hear, get some information that something happened to them physically or something happened to a relative or something happened to them legally or some, from what happened to me then to what's going on to me now and looking back on what happened and you, and you think everybody is okay and they're not necessarily, they've not always had it good in there. Are any of us okay right now? <laughs> like two years of, into a pandemic and, and loss everywhere, and are any of us okay? I don't think any of us, all of us are okay, and, 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 and that's, what we're, that's what I mean. I, I have a best friend who I've learned, I knew him all my childhood, and as, now that we're adults in, you know, in our 50s with children that are grown, I've learned more about him over the last 15, 20 years and the things that he had to deal with growing up mm. that just like, dude, how are you still standing here? He didn't say so that he could go on. Yeah, he just, I like, bro, how are you still standing? How are you still, all that stuff that you got to unpack. Mm-hmm. And each and every time we talk about it, it's just like, I'm amazed at how you're still standing here. Mm-hmm. And... 
again, you know, he was somebody that for his age as a teenager that I looked up to, that I admired because there were just things that he said. I mean, he was a goofy kid like all of us, but there were just things that he said that I just thought were just so, that's the kind of cat I want to be. That's the kind of mm. dude I want to be. And I took those things to heart and that steered me in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I wasn't out there doing foolishness. I wasn't out there being crazy. And mm -hmm. we are one another's support mechanism. So we're, we're close, almost like, we're just like brothers. But when I hear the trauma that he had to deal with, he told me a story that was like, that freaked me out. He basically said he was seven years old and he had fallen off of a fence. Mm. Both his mother and his grandmother worked at Jackson Hospital in Miami. Mm -hmm. And at that time, and still is, I believe, to this day, Jackson Hospital was the teaching mm -hmm. hospital, you know, for up-and-coming physicians and mm -hmm. residents. He said, I'm a kid, seven years old, no insurance, my mother and those work there. That's where they're going to take me. I go into the hospital. I sit there for like, it was probably two o'clock. Mm -hmm. Nobody saw me. We went into the evening about seven or eight. No one still saw me. Mm -hmm. By the time they finally saw him, the doctor brings in the residents. The residents, the doctor sets my arm and then has the resident unset <gasps> my arm so that he can reset it said imagine me doing that and then my grandmother telling me you better not cry in front of these folks so i'm just like that freaked me out i was like are you serious they use you as a guinea pig oh my god so when i hear stories like that it's like oh my god so and it upsets me when again when we when we have these discussions we're obviously having these debates going back and forth mm -hmm. between us about everything that's going on and nobody's able to look at the other person's circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that's an issue for Put me. Put yourself and, in somebody else's And just issues. like you said, empathy. Mm -hmm. We don't have empathy for one another. We just see our point of view and we can't see someone else's. And we can't be fair to somebody based upon, wait a minute, hold on. Let's, let's look at a couple of facts here and let's make sure this is not just spin. So when we talk about empathy, mm -hmm. I put myself in that, his shoes. Immediately I saw my friend being used like a guinea pig in a hospital at eight years old, seven years old, six years old. And it bothered me. I mean, that really, that really hit home. Doctors are supposed to do no harm. Exactly. And here you are using a young, let's be honest, African-American patient to almost experiment on if you want to teach and have the resident set it and talk him through it that's one, that's thing, one thing but you said it and then undid did it, it. To right. like what pain did that cause and what and it's a wonder and again talking about empathy and talking about what people go through you know when we talk about subject matters like COVID-19 and then the vaccinations and people's apprehension about doing certain things from from the standpoint of the african-american community that's a prime example of why yeah people mistrust the medical field and people especially people of color especially people of color they mistrust the medical field because of past experiences mm -hmm. and 
it's concerning. I can just explain it from my perspective. Yeah. And why they would not and how we're treated within that. So it's just empathy. Mm-hmm. And again, so we have to, and going back to the story, I don't live in that country. And, I, and I've had one, one opportunity to go south of the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first time was, to, you know, I went on vacation with my son. I think I've referenced that before. And literally, that's really my first time in a, in a country such as Mexico or a foreign country. And I was restricted to the resort. <laughs> It's not till I got to venture out and go like on an excursion that I got to see some of the city, some of the town, and some of the living conditions of people there. And it's it just made you know I mean I don't know it all, mm-hmm. but some of some of it wasn't. I was just like wow, you know, it, it just kind of took me by surprise. I don't know what it is for somebody else coming from another country. I have a lot of friends that are Haitian and they come from Haiti and we have some that went back to Haiti, but they have dual citizenship and the things that are going on there in that country. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they let, they, they stayed here for a while and they didn't feel comfortable and they went back. And now things are kind of in an upheaval since the assassination of the, the president there. And now they you know they're they're kind of unsafe because of some of the upheaval they feel unsafe so they're trying to migrate back to the united states so it's you got to put yourself in those per- if you lived in those conditions what would you do yeah there's so much we don't know about everybody around us exactly exactly i mean i only have one child because my daughter had heart surgery at two months old mm-hmm. and the associated stress on me with that being a new mom and the surgery and her not eating well and I was not a rational person for a whole year and I don't want to do that again and I don't want to go through that again right I don't want any part of that again you know it's funny you should say that because then that goes back to reproduction and rights and what women Pequena didn't have a right to to reproduction. Yeah. She was forced upon her, and she may not have wanted to be a mother for whatever reason. Right. She might not have wanted to raise a child in those conditions. And you know, I am an adoptive parent, right? And my wife openly shares this all the time. She didn't necessarily want to be a biological mother, right? And a lot of people look at her and say, "Why?" and that's just not... It's none of your business. Well, not just that, but <laughs> like, that, not only that, but the fact is that she knew what she would have to go through to get to that point, and she just didn't mm-hmm. want any part of it. Yeah. And if she chooses to share, and she openly shares that, but if she chooses to share that, that's fine. But many people look at her and say... Right. What is wrong? What's wrong with you? And what does your right. husband? What does your husband think about it? And my my response to him is, why are you worried about what my response is to it? Clearly, she <laughs> and I have dealt with that. So like, that's obviously, not we you. exactly. <laughs> what is your worry about what her response is to it? And sometimes it's out of curiosity, and sure. I understand that, and I and I have to grant grace there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have to say that we chose the path to parenthood because that worked for us. Mm-hmm. And that worked for her. And she had the agency. She had the rights Mm -hmm. to choose how she became a mother. Yeah. And And if I wasn't on board with that, 
then you would have found a different partner. Exactly. Yeah, people ask me that too. Like, why don't you have another kid? Oh, your kid is so cute. Why did you? And maybe I don't want to get into all of the trauma with you, you right don't. now. And I just say she's an only child. But that's the we all carry trauma, and we don't know what people are asking. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't push people, and maybe we let them share when they're ready, and maybe we give grace to everyone. We give well. We can give We're that grace. To. We're supposed to give grace. <laughs> Um, but sometimes <laughs> the <laughs> grace ain't available. <laughs> sometimes we're all a little pushed to our limits. Yes. These kids don't talk. They don't talk and they don't share. Right. Ask not. Ask and don't tell. And it, and that's what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they shared with one another what really was going on. How much less stressful that journey would have hopefully been for them. But they chose not to say anything to their parents to one another they felt that opening up that wound was would would have been more damaging and more dangerous too much to bear well i'd love to hear from students too Uh, i'd love to know what you guys think of pequena's choices and also where you give grace and If you need someone to talk to, you can always come and talk. You don't feel like you have to. I will open up a discussion board on Canvas this week for how we give grace to each other. Because I I hope that we are as much as we can. Speaking on trauma as we are dealing with mental health and emotions, things like that. I want kids to have a safe haven Mm -hmm. that they can express that. Sometimes kids don't feel like they have a place to go. And I think that we are just now as a society, as a school district, are really trying to address those things of trauma and isolation and just emotions and feelings that kids have no control over and they don't feel they have an outlet. And let them know you can go to a school counselor, Mm -hmm. you can go to that teacher you trust you can go to that, and maybe you go to an administrator you trust or the librarian, but I encourage kids to find that one person at school and please make it be somebody that is of good character that you can trust mm-hmm. that'll allow them to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I often ask when I talk to students and say, you know, look, if there's somebody on this campus I ask the question, is there somebody on this campus that you trust, like, adult-wise, not a kid? Because mm-hmm. kids, <laughs> you know, you had kids here in this right. scenario. But, um, and I'm not saying they weren't trustworthy, and they were doing the very mm-hmm. best they could. They, were, they had each other. But and adults it, usually have more resources. Exactly. And as they met adults along the way. And, and fortunately, fortunately, they met adults that meant them some good. And I think some of the adults along the way that they met with Pequena they found people that genuinely cared for them and wanted to make sure that they were okay. I hope all of you guys out there are okay. Thank you so much for talking with me. I love doing this with you every year. Thank you. (laughs) I had a good, I enjoyed enjoyed the book. I really did. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. Bye.